In this episode, I'm joined by Brad Wayland of Quiet Light Brokerage, where we talk about cashing out and selling your e-commerce business. You're listening to the Amazon Private Labeler Show podcast, hosted by seven-figure e-commerce seller and digital entrepreneur, Nick Landowski. This is the show to get the tips and strategies to take your business to the next level. So strap in and get ready, because it's time to escape the rat race and build your own e-commerce empire. Let's do this. Hey, hey, everybody, what is going on? Welcome to episode number 130 of the Private Labeler Show. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I saved you guys a seat. Now, no matter where in the world you're listening, no matter how you're listening, I'm super grateful for each and every one of you guys, all the love and the support the podcast has been getting. Thank you so much for all that. Now, in just a second, I'm going to get into and play an amazing interview that I did with Brad Whalen from Quiet Light Brokerage. We're going to be talking about buying and selling online businesses, Amazon, FBA businesses, all that stuff. Very exciting stuff. I'm super pumped about this episode, and I know you guys will be as well. Uh, but before we get into that, I just want to quickly mention Prime Day. It has been announced, everybody. The big day starts July 15th, which is a Monday. Okay, so I seen that yesterday. I did post that in the Facebook group. So this is a, a big opportunity for all of us to really go out there and make some money and to take advantage of all that traffic that is going to be coming in a few weeks. So if you guys haven't yet listened to episode number 129, where I break down Prime Day prep things, you're going to want to make sure you go back and do that, okay? So let's dive in here. So in just a second, I'm going to play an interview that I did with Brad Whalen again from Quiet Light Brokers. Now, Brad is going to break down what you need to know about either buying and or selling an online business. So in our case, we're talking a lot about Amazon FBA, Shopify, that type of e-commerce underneath that umbrella. We're going to dive into all that. Now, if uh, you guys are like me, uh, we're, I know that a lot of you guys are interested in the idea of potentially at some point cashing out and selling our e-commerce businesses, our brands that we're working so hard on building up, okay? Now, it has definitely become like the kind of the thing to do, the very hot thing to do in our community, selling, you know, your brand and your business, kind of cashing out, if you will. You know, over the past few years, I've seen a lot of sellers do this, and I've seen sellers kind of cash out with some nice chunks of change, selling their brands off again that they've put their blood, sweat, and tears in. And, um, you know, a lot of times what those sellers will do after they cash out, maybe they might go sip some Mai Tais on the beach for a little bit, but what they do is they go right back at it. They'll start another brand or another business with the idea, with the plan or the goal or the mission of, you know, eventually selling out and cashing out yet again. It's kind of just become a business model, if you will, because there are a lot of people wanting to buy e-commerce business. A lot of people and companies wanted to buy Amazon FBA businesses, Shopify businesses, things like that. They want to pay you for your hard work, okay? So we're going to kind of dive into all that in just a second. Brad's going to break it all down. And if any of this has any, you know, if you have any interest in, in this stuff, you're going to want to stay tuned to the very end. So much good information being thrown out there by Brad. He's going to break down what you need to know, okay? And if you guys want show notes, to what we talk about here, then go to privatelabelershow 
Dot-com forward slash 130. So if you're driving right now, you're at the at the gym, whatever, don't worry about remembering any of these things. You can always just hop back to the show notes for any uh, links or email addresses or things that we talk about. And stay to the very, very end because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a handful of my key takeaways from this interview and conversation as well. And that way you can kind of compare notes to, to uh, some of the things that stuck out in your mind. So without further ado, let's go to the conversation with Brad Whalen from Quiet Light Brokerage. Hey everyone, I would like to welcome Brad Whalen from Quiet Light Brokerage to the show. Welcome, Brad. Hey, how's it going, Nick? It is going fantastic. Thank you for being here. Um, would Thanks, you mind, Brad. for everybody that doesn't know who you are, telling us a little bit about yourself, Brad? Sure. So I would describe myself as an entrepreneur. Uh, I uh, graduated from college in 2002, have spent the past uh, 17 years um, just trying to make money and, and uh, find meaning and like everybody else. So I uh, spent the bulk of that uh, building a custom t-shirt company called Blue Cotton and uh, you know, came on as an employee after kind of figuring out I would never make it in corporate America six months in. I knew I was going to get fired if I didn't get out of there. And uh, so I, I joined up with two friends who had just crossed a million dollars in revenue on a custom t-shirt business. And it was kind of mostly a local business and had some internet uh, potential. And I jumped in there and worked with them and really kind of fumbled it around for a while. But but after a few years, uh, we built a product that uh, that Google really liked. And so we we were in the custom design your own kind of t-shirt space. So it's, it's t-shirts for groups, clubs, and organizations. And, uh, we launched this product in 2007 and we were featured on Gizmodo. We got links from adobe.com, uh, and other reputable places and went on a crazy growth tear that was about 50% for nine years straight. And, um, so we grew that business, and, and today that business operates out of a 110,000-square-foot facility in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and we have 125 employees. And those employees, by and large, are producing custom T-shirts for Blue Cotton and for other e-commerce players uh, in the space. But around 2010, um, and, and in 2008, I became a partner of that business. I was I was responsible for the web, and that was about 85% of our revenue at the time, so um, ended up doing a transaction to, um, have a meaningful ownership stake in the company. And then around 2010, I started kind of wanting to, um, spread my wings a little bit and try out some other things. So I ended up buying some content sites primarily. I have done some e-commerce as well, but primarily content sites. And from 2010 to 2015, I ended up purchasing 26 online businesses and ended up selling four times uh, towards the end of that. And around that time is when I was approached by Mark Doust, the founder of Quiet Light, who, um, who I didn't know at the time, but only hires entrepreneurs that have kind of been in the trenches of building, buying, selling, legal problems, all kinds of things that entrepreneurs go through. And he said, hey, I think you'd be a great fit to come on and help people sell their online-based businesses. These are really fragile deals. And we would like to have the best team, the best experts, people that have lots of experience in the online world come on and help us do that. And so my day-to-day -day work now is I talk with entrepreneurs, mainly on the phone, and I value their businesses, and I help position them for sale, and we help get them sold. 
And I think that Quiet Light Brokerage is actually the best place to do that. We're, we're a 10-person team. It's all entrepreneurs. There's a ton of experience kind of under our roof, so to speak. And um, I'm just really loving uh, the work and getting to jump in and out of different deals with uh, buyers and sellers and, and help the process move along. So that's kind of some background on me. Excellent. That's awesome. Uh, so as far as the t-shirt business, I mean, are you still actively a part of that or are you uh, kind of focused on other things now? I have been uh, pretty focused on other things uh, for a while. I do uh, still own my stake in that company today, and uh, and then also another part of that that's really important to me is we've we've accumulated some real estate over the years from moving from building to building, and so we've got renters. Uh, so I have a, a real estate portfolio there that's also of some value to me. But uh, in terms of the day to day activity of that business, I'm not highly involved at this point. Um, I, I pretty much focus on my own portfolio, which is not that big anymore. It's, it used to be a lot of sites. Now it's just a few sites and quiet light, which is, you know, kind of my, that's what I'm really working on day to day is, is facilitating deals. So I'll probably end up closing somewhere in the neighborhood of, uh, you know, 10 to 15 deals this year. And, uh, that's about what I did last year. And that's kind of what my passion is right now. Awesome. Um, you know, this podcast obviously is primarily focused around e-commerce with the prong of like, you know, Amazon, Amazon FBA, maybe a little bit of Shopify, that kind of stuff. Uh, how much of an uptick would you say that you are seeing from people selling their, I don't want to necessarily call them their Amazon FBA businesses, their e-commerce businesses, I guess you could say is a better way to say it, but how much of an uptick are you seeing for sellers in this space and as far as business over the past few years, is it something that's just kind of becoming a thing on everybody's radar? Is it rapidly growing? It is growing extremely fast right now. So, of course, um, you know, we're, we've been in a nine year or 10 year bull market with the stock market. The economy um, seems to have been growing at a pretty good clip for the last several years. Money seems to be pretty easy in terms of borrowing, things like that. It's pretty loose right now. So all those things kind of contribute many times to us seeing a lot of activity on our end but the industry of buying and selling websites you know the internet it's, it's weird to say i tell people all the time that if you're on the internet today you're still a pioneer <laughs> like i know that doesn't make any sense to people because they're probably thinking no the web's been out since 1995 but it really hasn't i mean it's just it takes a long time to kind of grow this industry up and if people are in that now they're the vast majority of the world of the United States does not understand how the web works and the things that are going on. We're seeing retail kind of, you know, we're watching retail change before our eyes, brick and mortar. I mean, you can, we can all talk about things that have gone away that were things that we could drive up to and go purchase things in. We're watching Amazon kind of slowly take away uh, a lot of the brick and mortar type retailers. And we're seeing that landscape change continually. And that is also kind of playing into um, the brokerage space. We're seeing um, a very steady growth uh, in the number of businesses that are going up for sale. Um, it's definitely been kind of a seller's market the last couple of years because um, FBA businesses are highly in demand by buyers. And so um, and when sellers want to go, a lot of times we can bring them multiple parties to the table that are interested in their business in a short period of time. And <coughs> Excuse me. We've just kind of found that um, over the last several years, like if I just go back five years with Quiet Light, I was talking to one of the brokers that had been there a, long, a lot longer than I have and said, 
tell me about how this industry has changed. And he said, you know, five years, just like five or six years ago, we used to sit around and dream of how we would find a $1 million business to sell. And that's funny to me because our average order size right now is, it's not a million, but it's not that far from it. <laughs> so right, yeah, things have grown, It's changed yeah. dramatically in a very, very short period of time. And so uh, I do really feel like there's some refinement there. And then also with Amazon, there's so many question marks about selling Amazon stores. Um, like the fact that their terms of service say that you can't sell one. That's one of the big hurdles for people is that their terms of service say that the accounts are non-transferable but yet we have brokerages like quiet light and others that are transferring them day in and day out and so kind of navigating that and helping people understand how those things work um can be complex but also the more that we do it the more that people are feeling comfortable doing it okay that makes sense you know can you um Can you kind of just give us a quick overview of the process of selling, let's just say, the e-commerce or Amazon business? Like, what what does that just kind of quickly look like from the 30,000-foot view? From 30,000 feet, the process with QuietLight looks like a 90-day engagement, which just means we're the exclusive broker for 90 days to sell the business. It looks like gathering um, three to five years of your profit and loss history by month giving them to us uh, in Excel for us to be able to kind of put into our system and and work with. It looks like a client interview that's going to be like 60 to 80 questions. It's on a Google Doc that you would fill out. And then we're going to take that engagement letter, which is what allows us to kind of communicate together. We're going to take your profit and loss. We're going to take your client interview and then phone conversations, usually a couple phone calls that we have. We're going to combine that into a packet of materials over a couple week period. And then we're going to have you sign off on it. Once you sign off on it, we're going to blast it out to our list. And when they want to see the materials, they don't get to see really anything about the business except a very broad summary unless they've signed a non-disclosure agreement. So as soon as they get that email, they're then taken through the non-disclosure process unless they have a current one on file. And then we drop them the materials. We usually get 100 to 200 inquiries when we launch one to our list. And that sets up a bunch of phone calls between the broker and the potential buyer and then we kind of filter through those and find the buyers that look to be the best fit, and we schedule calls with the seller. We try to have an acceptable offer in the first 30 to 35 days, and depending on what kind of closing it is, uh, 30 to 45 days is a typical closing. If we have an SBA loan involved, which you can get into if you want to, but if there's an SBA loan involved, it's going to take a little longer. It might take 45 to 70 days to close, depending on um, how well it goes in that process. Okay, okay. Um, kind of a, a question on that. Let's just say I'm, I'm on the fence. I'm, I'm kind of considering selling. Like, how do I know as a, as a business owner, as somebody that maybe sells on Amazon FBA, how do I know how to properly evaluate whether or not I should actually just keep my current business and kind of just keep things chugging along, things that I've built, or I should sell? Like, how do I really know how to evaluate that? Okay, so this is not going to seem like the kind of answer that I would give to this question, but... Uh, as I said, when we got on the phone, um, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur first. And so if you have a business that is doing well and you enjoy the work, you're okay with continuing doing the things that you're doing and you don't have any reason to think that it's going to fall off a cliff for any, you know, specific reason, you should never sell it. Okay. You should just keep it. 
selling a business is not the best way to make the most money. The best way to make the most money in most cases is to continue operating. So I would highly recommend that if you enjoy the business and it's just like, oh, I think I'm supposed to sell now. You're not supposed to sell. There's no supposed to sell. If you just want to own it and make the money off of it, there is nothing wrong with that. And that's probably going to net you the highest returns. Now, if you find yourself feeling burned out, the problem is sometimes people will wait until they're already burned out. Then they stop taking care of that FBA business. Now it becomes hard to sell and it's kind of a double whammy. So you do have to, if you just feel like that entrepreneur side of you is just like, oh man, I'm just tired of looking at this seller central account or this <laughs> e-commerce business, then you kind of have to anticipate that. Uh, or if you've got something that you want to get into that you're like, Hey, I've got this new thing I want to do and I really want to do it. And I'm not going to be able to manage both very well. Well, there's a lot of instances where I would say you might want to sell a thriving business rather than letting it become less than thriving because you're focused on other things. So to me, the sales question has to be more centered around when you feel like you need a change and less about, Hey, it's time to sell. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of people, uh, they might hear of other people in the, in the space selling their businesses and how much money they've made off of it. And it sounds really exciting, I suppose. And uh, they think maybe that's what they're supposed to do just based on they hear other Amazon sellers doing that. And therefore they just kind of feel maybe obligated to do it or like, you know, it's the next step or whatever. So you're saying just do what your gut tells you. If you like doing what you're doing and you like growing and working on your business, then keep doing that. So, yeah. And I would also say that, you know, sometimes, you know, we might get focused on, Hey, if I sell, then I'll have X number of dollars and things like that. But I think it's important to kind of realize that like what you've built has taken time and that monthly income, you know, if you, if you don't have that monthly income, what are you going to be doing with that pile of cash that you get after it closes? Well, most likely you're going to be going out and trying to create monthly income. So I think a lot of times we end up exchanging one set of monthly income for another. And we do like to have that line in the same where we're like, Hey, I ran that business and I started it with my sweat, blood and tears and I grew it to this certain spot and then I sold it and I want to have that mark in the sand that says I sold it and I did really well and I was very successful. But in the aftermath of that, all we're trying to do is like, Hey, I was making 20 grand a month on that business. So now I'm going out and I'm like, Hey, I only have a runway of like three years of this or two and a half years of this. And I'm going to need to create some monthly income. So we're out there just trying to recreate what we already had. And I think that there's a lot of entrepreneurs spinning their wheels uh, with that. Um, I do know that entrepreneurs as a, as a whole, um, you know, they, they suffer from grass is greener. And uh, I can put myself in that category as well. You know, there's something new and exciting is, is enticing sometimes to certain types of personalities. And so if you have that kind of personality, there's nothing wrong with being on a constant buying and selling cycle. There's nothing wrong with that kind of thing. But just I just think it's important to recognize that that's what we're doing a lot of times. Um, you know, very few people find themselves in the spot where, you know, they're, they're 30 years old and they build up this business and they sell it for enough money to never work again. That's not the common instance that we're seeing. We're seeing people that are serial entrepreneurs that are still needing to work and they're buying and selling uh, and they're trying to build and, and 
they're not anywhere near the point of quitting working. And so uh, in that case, I would say you need to be careful about when you choose to sell because you might have built something really great that looks better and better as time goes on. Okay. All right. That's all uh, great information there. So let's dive into some specifics. Now, how are web-based e-commerce businesses valued? Like to the listeners out there that are kind of maybe thinking about selling or, you know, you know, they want something they want to do in the future. Uh, how, how are they, how are they valued? So they live and die by the trailing 12 months seller's discretionary earnings. So let me, let me jump into that a little bit. I don't want to confuse anyone that hasn't heard some of this terminology. So when we have our, our typical income statement or profit and loss, we've got our revenue at the top. Then we've got our cost of goods, then we've got our expenses, and eventually we get down to our net income. We're really valuing them based on the net income. But the reason we call it seller's discretionary income is because let's just say that you have a couple of personal expenses that the government allows you to expense, like your health insurance. So maybe you've got a, a $10,000 a year line item for health insurance for yourself, and that's a choice that you've made to expense that through the business. Well, that's what's called an ad back. So we take your net income and then we have an ad back schedule of anything that's not related to really running the business. Um, it doesn't, there are people that try to slip in some things into ad backs that aren't like, Hey, I did this marketing experiment. And it didn't work. Can I add back this $30,000? And we have to say, no, that's not an ad back. And the buyers would say something's wrong with these numbers if you tried to add it back. But if you're adding back personal things, um, your personal cell phone, your personal insurance, your personal car, things like that that you don't necessarily need to run the business. Uh, that's how we get to the seller discretionary number. So it lives and dies by the trailing 12 months. So here we are. It's, it's June 26. Let's just say that uh, this month ends. And so we've got the end of June in um, the trailing 12 months. Once we had the June numbers in would be July 1st of 2018 to June 30th, 2019. That's our trailing 12 months. And that's what the multiple is going to be based off of. So let's just say your seller discretionary earnings was $100,000. So your profit plus all your ad backs was $100,000 in the trailing 12 months. We're going to give you a value based on a multiple of that number. And the values are that they range. It depends on what you're into. They range from, you know, on a distress sale anywhere down from one times that number all the way up to we've had deals that have gone for seven or eight times that number. Um, most of them don't fall on either one of those, one or eight. Those are both very rare instances. Uh, the vast majority of stuff is selling um, between the, the two and four mark is okay. the vast majority of things. And specifically when we talk about Amazon and Amazon plus e-commerce or e-commerce, we're looking at a range that's typically, if we're looking at, flat to growing trends, we're looking at somewhere in the 2.5 to 3.5 range for most of those businesses. Okay. All right. That makes sense. So good information there. Now, um, I got some questions for you, some more specific ones. You know, what would you say, I don't know, can you give me a handful of things that somebody that owns a business would want to do prior to a sale? So if I own my Amazon business, like, and I'm thinking about selling, what, what are some things I want to get lined up? Okay. So yeah, that, and that year leading up is very important. We have lots of sellers that, you know, would contact me. They, they hear me on your podcast. They contact me and they say, Hey, I want to sell at some point and we make a plan and we work on it for 12 or 18 months. And then we list after that because we got to get these things, all of our ducks in a row to make it 
look good for sale. One is you need to be keeping your monthly statements very uh, clean. So no commingling of businesses. Like if you've got, hey, I've got this little consulting business on the side and I just go ahead and run it through. Don't do that. Put that in a different entity. We want to run only the business that is your Amazon store or your Shopify store or a combination of both. We want to run that through one entity and we only want money to come in and out of that entity from, that are from that, that actual business. And so uh, one thing I would say is we need to keep our statements accurate. We need to do them monthly. Whenever you sign an engagement with Quiet Light, the first thing I'm going to ask you for is, hey, can I get a copy of your profit and loss for the last three years? Uh, we're going to need at least two years to sell anything, but we, we prefer to have three years if we can have it. And that'll be by month in an Excel spreadsheet exported out of QuickBooks or Zero, or it can be built. You know, some people have have really good record keeping just in a Google Doc. Um, but we're going to need to have that stuff buttoned up. The other thing is, the the year that you're selling is not a great year to do a bunch of experiments that you don't know if they're going to work or not. Let's say you decide you're going to hire a PR firm. They're going to cost two thousand dollars a month, and you have no idea if that PR firm is going to add any value. Well, if we do that for a year, we've now essentially lowered our net income or our seller discretionary earnings by $24,000. And if we couldn't find any clear revenue that came from it, I just told you, I'm going to get you two and a half to three and a half times on these e-commerce type businesses for that. So that 24,000 for every dollar of that 24,000, I would turn it into $2 and 50 cents to $3 and 50 cents for you. So you're talking about you know, potentially close to a hundred thousand dollar decision that you're making by taking that on. So in that last year, we want to really make sure we've streamlined the business to run efficiently and still keep all its growth trends, but we don't want to waste money on things that we're unsure of. And so you can take that to an extreme. Uh, I've got people that email me and they'll email me a dozen times before listing and they're, they're looking at every little thing because they've heard me say, Hey, I'm going to turn that dollar into two and a half or three and a half dollars. And so they start trying to figure out, can I run the business differently than I've ever run it before? And I, I do not recommend that approach. Um, but I do think that it is smart to just have a very streamlined year where you're not doing tons of experiments that could be costly and not have a good risk reward relationship. Okay. So get, so get lean and mean in that final yeah, lap. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So keeping your numbers good, uh, get, getting lean and then, you know, your trends are very important. That's not something you can necessarily control in that last year. But if you come to me and you've got three years of history and the trends are declining, it kills the multiple. It's like the difference, the difference between having a growing business and a business that's been uh, leaking revenue or leaking profit uh, is vastly different. It could be the difference between me saying, Hey, I could sell this for a two times multiple and Hey, I could sell this for a three and a half times multiple. So your trends are very important. Uh, people want to see growth. They want to see, uh, on the Amazon specifically, what they really like to see is a built-in product roadmap. One of the worst things you can do is, hey, while I was planning on running it, I'm launching 12 SKUs a year on Amazon. Now that I'm going to sell, I'm just going to not launch anymore. So you put it up for sale. And when the buyers get on the phone, they say, okay, so you launched 12 products last year. Do you have any products in the roadmap? No, I don't. I got some ideas about some things, but I haven't done any work on them. Well, that's just asking that buyer to say, see you later, because they can find other stores where they say, yep, I've got 12 SKUs. We've got two that are in production. We've got two that we're getting pricing on right now. We've got six in our roadmap, and we've got the plan laid out. 
the buyers love that stuff because they think, hey, I'm not going to have to do any real creative work until I've had any, a year or so to learn the business and really understand what's going on. So product roadmaps is a very important part of that too. Okay, excellent. So kind of continuing along with that, like uh, you mentioned having that product roadmap, but like what else would help increase maybe the amount I can sell my business for? Like what would having uh, an asset, like an, you know, a big audience or big email list help or like what are some other things that might be attractive to potential buyers. Like if I just, if I have an Amazon business, like would it be attractive if I had some semblance of like a Shopify store kind of connected to it growing? Like what other things can you maybe recommend that would potentially yeah. help that process to uh, sell for even more? Yeah. So there's a couple things I'm going to go, I'll go into one of the things you just mentioned first. So if we have an Amazon store, let's just say an Amazon store that's on flat trends, not growing, it doesn't look great. It looks like it's stable. That's probably a two and a half multiple of seller discretionary earnings. Um, if you have that same store, but you've got 30% of your revenue coming through Shopify and you're utilizing the Facebook pixel or something else to get those sales, then that same business would probably go for like a 2.8 or a 2.9 just because you had the diversity from Amazon and Shopify. So having multiple channels is an important part. But I'm going to go a little bit different direction to answer this question on, on the rest of it. So one of the things that you can do, and not everyone has the option of this, but we're seeing great multiple expansion when the stores are larger. So once the net income of a an Amazon business gets you know, up to 500000 gets to 750000 and especially when it tips over a million, which we don't have a lot of sellers that are doing that, but at Quiet Light, we definitely interact with several. Um those stores are going for higher multiples. Like we can list them sometimes at a four times multiple and get them sold. Uh, three and a half is very common for these higher net income stores. The other thing you can do that tips up the multiple is if you're U.S. based and you're filing tax returns that are really clean, your accountant's not getting too creative in the process of doing your tax returns. You can tie back your numbers Um then if you have a couple of years of tax returns, then we can pre-qualify your business to be bought with an SBA loan. So an SBA loan is a small business administration loan. I don't know if you ever talk about them on the, on the show, but uh, an SBA loan is a government-backed loan. Um, you actually get the, the loan from a traditional bank, but the government backs that bank. What they do is in their best case scenario, a buyer only has to put down 10% of the value of the business in order to buy it. So you could have a store that's for sale for a million dollars that's making, let's say, $300,000 a year. And the buyer could come in and for $100,000 down, they could get a 10-year loan from the SBA that's backed by the SBA that would allow them to buy the business. Um, and so that's an extremely attractive program. And so if you have a business that can get pre-qualified, a lot of times we can get you a line of buyers to buy it if it's SBA pre-qualified because we have lots and lots of people on our list that want to buy an SBA business because they think, hey, this is the easiest kind of funding. I mean, I'll just compare it to commercial real estate. Uh, if I go buy a commercial building, let's say I, I told you we have a 110,000 square foot facility. To buy a 110,000 square foot facility, a, a multi-million dollar purchase, you got to put down 15% to get a bank to loan you money on it right? for the rest of it. That same, you know, so, and that's with a physical building. It's not, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's going to rent for years to come. 
all this stuff. Sure. With an SBA loan, you could put down 10% and get 90% financed in the best case you know, scenario. So just think about how uh, beneficial of a program that is. You know, you're talking about digital assets being sold and 90% of the debt being carried by a bank and 10% being carried by the buyer in the best case scenario. A lot of them now they've kind of they've buckled down a little bit you might have to do 20 percent down or the seller might have to carry a 10 percent seller note there can be other things like that but that's a very beneficial program and on the multiple i said we might be able to get you um a line of buyers right so when i say that we can get you a line of buyers that tips up the multiple a little bit yeah because if i said hey we're going to sell it at a 2.5 or a three then when we're SBA pre-qualified and it's a 10% down situation, well, now I got to think, okay, I'm going to have to raise the price because if I get 20 buyers, they're all going to look to be paying about the same price. So we have to do the work for them there, raise the price up a little bit and say, hey, we're going to sell this at 3.3. We run some of them off, but we keep enough of them in to where we can still have meaningful conversations with four or five of them and get you an offer in the first 30 to 35 days. Makes sense. So just to backtrack just a little bit, uh, to qualify for that SBA type of loan, if you're a seller, you mentioned having like uh, really clean financials and uh, tax returns and things like that. And what other were what were some of the other factors that kind of line you up for that? Well, SBA really requires that the business is growing. So if, if you have a business with negative trends, it's not going to get pre-qualified for SBA. But but primarily tax returns and history. You got to have a couple of years of history couple years of tax returns. Ideal is three years. Um, and then stable or growing trends okay. um, is the other thing. And it's got to be U.S.-based. You'll hear people tell you, you know, uh, look, I've had hundreds of phone calls over the years where people say, hey, I heard there's this, there's this lender that I know that's doing SBA loans and they'll do them for international companies and all this kind of stuff. I have no idea if people are getting any of those done, but I can tell you that from my experience, if it's not U.S.-based, it's not going to close. Um, there's just too many hurdles to try to get through. And it's a, it's a program that's ba- that's for us buyers. That's why some sellers that are international think they can do it because if a us buyer buys it, but it's just too hard to verify the numbers. It's too hard to get it through the underwriting process. Okay. Too many hoops. And then I suppose, too many hoops. yeah, if there's businesses already available that are cleaner and easier to buy, then why bother with all the hoops? Very true. Yeah. So what would you say? Like some of the common mistakes that, that people are making, when they're trying to sell their their online business like what, what are some of the the major ones one of the mistakes that i see people make is something i kind of touched on earlier which is milking the trends for too long so you got a business you're planning to sell it that's what you're trying to do and so you know you talk to you talk to brad whalen on the phone and i say hey Man, you look great. You're up thirty percent this year. Everything's going good. And and they say, and I say, are you, are you think you're ready to sell now? Because I know you wanted to move on. I know you wanted to make sure you got this much money, whatever that conversation is. And they say, well, I'm up thirty percent, so I want to hold on another month. Or I want to hold on another quarter. And I'm totally fine with that, especially if you have the mindset of keeping it. But the problem is, when they're up thirty percent, I'm over there saying, hey, I might be able to sell this for a three times multiple. And then you keep operating. And then you come to me whenever you say, hey, we're down year over year by 5%. And now I say, hey, you know, I remember I mentioned about milking these trends. We can't milk the trends too much. And we milked them too much. And, 
and you stopped launching as many products and you stopped doing all these other things. And now all of a sudden you looks like you're going the other way or on the verge of going the other way. I don't think I can sell it for an as aggressive multiple. So we do have a problem of people kind of milking the trends. Okay. Um, we have a problem of people not keeping their financials. Like uh, that's, it sounds like a simple thing. You need to keep the financials monthly. They need to be very accurate. It's an important part of running a business, knowing what the business actually did and its performance. And so whether you're trying to sell it or not, that's just an exercise that everyone needs to be doing. Every month we got to button up the P&L. We got to know what did it make or what did it lose and how did it go? Because when you got to reconstruct that stuff three years later, it's very difficult to do it accurately. Yeah, it can become time consuming. That's that's for sure. Now, you mentioned, Brad, that when we first started talking about Amazon having, you know, some, I don't know, not, not necessarily some issues, but in regards to transferring accounts, like after the sale and things like that, uh, obviously it's something that, you know, happens, even though you stated that Amazon isn't really all up on that. Uh, have you ever experienced any issues where, you know, after a sale kind of went through or that you get, you know, customers that you guys have been dealing with where there were any hiccups with Amazon and transferring those accounts? Yeah. So we've, I think we've transferred hundreds of them at this point. Um, uh, we, the only issue that we've ever run into is uh, on one occasion, someone bought it, an Amazon store, and they log in and they're coming from a different IP address across the country or I can't remember exactly where it was. And then they go in and start swapping out bank account information, company information right immediately. And so the bots at Amazon just shut it down because they thought someone had hacked someone's account. Because it just looked like oh, someone's just jumping in here and they're just going to change it to where the money comes to them. So they shut the store down. Now, that was an automated thing. That wasn't from a human. So what the buyer and seller had to do there is they had to file a ticket that just said, hey, this was a, this changed ownership and we just need to get it open back up. And it was open back up you know, the next day. Gotcha. It, wasn't, it didn't end up being a huge problem. We do have some protocols that we try to follow. Um, we haven't run into any problems of anything uh, ever really actually getting shut down. There's even some... We work with some private equity firms that are buying these things and, you know, they're buying like multiple stores a year and they're transferring them. So we do know that Amazon allows it because we've been doing it for right, so right. long. Um, I, I guess that's I don't know why it is that they have that policy. We do have some protocols that we follow. One of the things that I have my buyers and sellers do now is, you know, there's always due diligence that has to be done by the buyer. So I encourage my sellers early on. I say, look. You know, if we trust this party, we need to give them some access to the account immediately. So we get them user access. And then as we get further along in the process and kind of prove that this is going to be a transaction that actually happens, we keep upping the access until we get to the point of an admin. Some sellers are happy to give them admin access prior to close. Some aren't. So I just try to encourage them to go as far as they're willing to go. But what that does is that gets Amazon used to seeing that there's another IP address from another area that's working on the store. And then when you go in to swap out information, there's no issue. Okay. And that's something that you guys uh, at Quiet Light are, are kind of intermediaries on? Like you're, you guys are kind of in that process of the transferring of the accounts and things like that? Is that part of the whole deal? Yeah. We actually have the seller do the work and the buyer do the work. But we do have a process that we recommend and we get we have kind of a white paper that we say, hey, we want to follow this process. Mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> honestly, we have never heard of of any, uh, we actually have the sellers call Amazon and say, Hey, I sold my business as, a, as part of the sale. I'm going to be transferring my seller central account. And can you tell me how to do that? And then we have that rep send it to them in writing. 
you know, the steps. Get it in writing, right? Yeah. Just yep. in case. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we have them do that. And that's, we never had to use that, but, you know, we just have it because we just think it's a good best practice to have. Um, but, but the thing is, there are ways around it. If for some reason Amazon really wanted to make an issue of it and like they wanted to say, we're not going to be willing to shut down this store, there actually are things that you can do. One of the things you can do is you can buy the stock of the company. 95% of our deals are asset purchases, which just means you're just buying the, the Amazon account. You keep, the seller keeps their actual company. But if you buy the stock of a company, if you buy the actual entity itself, then there's no change has to be made. You're inheriting the bank accounts, the EIN numbers, all that kind of stuff. So we have ways around it if they ever wanted to make an issue that was you know, substantial. But um, up to this point, we just haven't seen anything that was too alarming. Gotcha. Okay. Um, you know, I don't know, Brad, I don't know if you kind of already mentioned this a little bit. Uh, we'll rush over it again. But how long... Do you see that it typically takes for, let's just say, an Amazon business to sell? Like, what, what is that? Uh, Thirty days, sixty days, ninety days? Like, what, what are we looking at here? Yeah, so we only do a ninety-day engagement, which is the lowest in the industry. Uh, we have been told that the other brokerages that are out there are doing six months to a year. So our our approach has always been: we think our list is very active, so we think it's going to sell quickly if it's going to sell through us. So we we throw it out there, and in that ninety-day exclusive. You know, our goal is to have it under LOI in the first 30 to 35 days. And I would say that for the overwhelming majority of our listings, that's what we have. We have it under LOI in the first 30 to 35 days. If it's a small store, if we're going to be selling it for $250,000, uh, those are those are like three-week, four-week closes routinely. If we're talking about a, a million-dollar-plus store, you're probably looking at more like 30 to 45 days. If there's an SBA loan involved, we're probably talking more like 45 to 70 days. Uh, just okay. because the SBA process takes a while. But w I think that in most instances, we are probably completing the deal somewhere between 45 and 90 days, depending on all the factors that are involved. Okay. Yeah, I just kind of want to give the listeners a, an idea in their head of... And that's that's 45 from launch to finish. So from the, the whole process. So, um, you know, including getting the buyer and everything. Uh, we're, we're usually satisfying it inside that 90-day exclusive window. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, I don't, I, I don't know if we really exactly touched on this, but I'm sure people are kind of wondering how, how is uh, money transferred? Like how is a, a buyer typically paid by the seller? I understand that that's all probably negotiated. I understand it probably all varies depending, we, you know, mentioned SBA loans, things like that. Uh, what, what does a typical transfer look like in terms of, you know, yeah, payouts? I, yeah. Yeah. Typical transfer is that we use a third party escrow firm. And there's lots of different ways we do that. One of the ones we work with a lot is called e-commerce law group out of Florida. That's president of that is a guy named Sean Hussein that we work with on many, many deals. And so Sean's firm just provides escrow services. So, um, the funds are wired to his firm, to his law firm, uh, by the buyer. Once he confirms receipt, then the seller is free to go transfer supplier information, transfer the Amazon account, do all those things. And once that's complete, and the funds can be released. There are other platforms. We've used escrow.com many times. Um, sometimes we use the lawyer of the buyer or the seller. As long as we think it looks like a reputable uh, situation, then we'll, we'll allow them to use their own lawyers uh, for that escrow piece. So um, rarely is it ever not going through escrow and just like going directly from buyer to seller. 99% um, of the time, it goes through an escrow service. So the, the funds are wired and they're protected. The buyer and the seller both know that they're there so that the seller feels comfortable transferring the assets. Okay. All right. Just wanted to confirm all that. I assumed escrow, but uh, you never know. Yeah. 
Um, so Brad, I'm trying to wind this down here just a little bit. Um, what other tips or pieces of advice could you offer that maybe we didn't already talk about for people that are interested in potentially selling their, their e-commerce business? I would say that you should always build it to sell, even if you don't plan to sell. You know, one of the things that I've learned from from doing this, I mean, I get profiles of people's lives every week. And what you find is that life throws you a lot of curveballs. So I would say that whether you plan to sell or don't plan to sell, if you've got an Amazon business or an e-commerce business that is producing real income, um, I would take care of it. And part of taking care of it is doing all those things that we need to do to prepare for it to sell because there could be something that comes up uh, in your life, an opportunity. There could be uh, something that, that we don't want to. Sometimes it's not an opportunity. Sometimes life deals us, uh, whether it's a health scare or something that happens in our family, something, things that change our course. And I think kind of always building it with the idea of like, if I need to sell it, I want to be able to do it quickly and efficiently is a really smart way to do it. And the people that think like that, those are the people that are selling for the highest multiples when they sell because they've kind of planned it from the beginning. The people who aren't selling for very much are the people who say, yeah, I know Brad said I need to keep my monthly financials, but I just don't like doing it. I don't want to pay the bookkeeper or whatever the reason is. Or the people that say, I just got tired of launching products and I assumed I could probably ride it out for six months and not add any new SKUs. I think those folks are the ones that are getting the the bad news on the on the side of, hey, we're not able to sell this business for as much as we had hoped. Okay, makes sense. So, Brad, this has all been awesome information. I know I'm pumped up. I know the listeners are pumped up about the idea of potentially selling their you know their e-commerce business, or even maybe maybe even buying one or acquiring a few. Um, sure. You know where where can listeners find you online if they have more questions because i imagine this type of process people got a lot of questions that we didn't get to yeah um how can they how can they uh, reach out to you so that if they're interested in maybe getting the ball rolling on buying or selling their business yeah so we're business advisors first so you know i want you to know that and and all the listeners know that we're interested in having conversations i'd like to talk with you about your business it doesn't there's no strings attached you don't have to decide to sell. There's no cost involved. All of our fees are paid in, in a form of a success fee if the, if the listing closes. So, uh, so there's no risk for you to reach out and try to get advice about where you're at. The best way to reach me is uh, my email, brad at quietlightbrokerage.com. Uh, I'll give you a free valuation on your site. I'll help you along the process. I'll tell you whether it's time to sell, not sell, how sellable it is, what would be a good way to make it more sellable. I'll give you all kinds of tips and tricks there. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Brad Wayland. Uh, you can, you can see me there. Um, but, but I'm available and, and willing to discuss, uh, with really anyone. And then another mention that I'll have is if you've got friends in the space that are interested in selling, uh, we do pay referral fees. So if you refer someone to quiet light, let's say Nick, let's say you've got somebody, you refer them to me and you say, Hey Brad, uh, my friend Dan Smith's going to be reaching out and he's a referral for me. I go ahead and tag you in our CRM. And then when that deal closes, if we get a, if we get a buyer, when that deal closes, whether you keep up with it or not, we track you down and we pay you 10% of the commission, which those commissions, when you get into a, you know, multi-million dollar sale can add up to pretty good amount of money. And so, uh, we've got lots of people that are sending us referrals because it's become a nice little source of income for them because they're connected to potential sellers. So that's, that's two ways to kind of 
uh, see opportunities with quiet light, referring people to us that have a sellable business, online business, um, or, you know, just reaching out and let, you know, letting us talk with you about your business so that we can help you prepare to sell someday. That is very exciting. Everybody referrals as well. So if you're listening right now, uh, if you're driving, whatever, don't worry, I'll put the uh, information, all the information that we just talked about, Brad's contact information, all that in the show notes. So you can always refer back to that. Don't try to remember all this stuff as you're driving along or whatever it is that you're doing, guys. So um, Brad, thank you so much for all this fantastic information. Again, we're super excited about all this that we talked about here today about buying and selling our e-commerce businesses. It's such a great time to be alive. Thank God for Amazon and e-commerce and <laughs> all the opportunities that it's presenting us. I mean, it's just crazy to think how things have evolved so quickly over the years. And as we were talking about at the top, you know, uh, how, how much Amazon has changed our lives really in terms of, you know, brick and mortar to e-commerce. And it just, again, presenting us so many opportunities to uh, go out there and be entrepreneurs to grow our businesses and to capitalize off of our hard work. So Brad, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day to uh, spend a little bit of it with us today on the podcast. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with what you just said. Uh, it is a great time to be alive and it's such an exciting industry to be in. So, uh, would love to help you and your listeners, you know, anything that we can do, um, you know, Quiet Light tries to really pride ourselves on just being a really honest place that you can go to get good advice. We're not, we're not slick oil salesmen. We're not trying to sell you on doing it. We're, we're business advisors. We're all entrepreneurs. The whole team, every single person on the team has bought, built, sold businesses. This is not a group of people trying to sell you on anything. We're trying to help you facilitate the sale of your business or you know, evaluate whether that's something that you want to do or not do. And that's just something that we kind of help you see and uh, so really appreciate you having me on and I enjoyed it very much. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we'll talk soon, Brad. Thank you so much. Have a great rest of the day. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay. Wow. That was some terrific information. Awesome stuff, Brad. Again, I would like to thank you for stopping by and spending a little bit of time on the podcast here today, sharing with you guys about buying and selling online businesses. Truly awesome stuff. And as Brad mentioned, if you guys have questions, please reach out to him. Okay, he wants to hear from you if you have questions about the process. There's a lot to kind of grasp and take in. So reach out to him at brad at quietlightbrokerage.com, okay? Um, also too, Brad mentioned that if you want a free business evaluation to kind of see where your business currently stacks up, you can go to quietlightbrokerage.com and get that free business evaluation to get the kind of ball rolling on, you know, potentially selling your online business. So check those guys out. Now, here are some of my key takeaways from our conversation, okay? And you can compare this to what you have, kind of compare notes, okay? So one of the things that really stuck out with me is that if you're thinking about selling your online business, you better have great books, okay? So Brad says, hey, you gotta be all over programs like QuickBooks, like Zero. you gotta hire a bookkeeper, whatever. Uh, you can't start the process of trying to sell your online business if you have really bad books and accounting and things like that. You gotta make sure that stuff is tidied up, ready to rock and roll, and you can do that relatively easily with, uh, again, either Bookkeeper, QuickBooks Zero, stuff like that, okay? And also, too, you recommended, you know, if you have like side hustles that are kind of mixed in with your online business, we got kind of multiple businesses kind of mixed in, you're going to want to separate that out, okay? So 
you know, make it, make it very distinguished. Okay. So separate everything out. So that way for your online business, that's all it is. There's nothing else that's kind of mingling in there. Okay. Another thing that he mentioned, another takeaway that I have is that if you want to have a high success rate, you want somebody to buy your business, that potential person that's thinking about buying your business is going to want to see that your business is actively growing and that you're consistently growing by launching new products. Okay. So not that like, you haven't launched a product in a year, year and a half. Like that's kind of, you know, a weird thing to kind of show and, and want to sell that type of a business. So the person that's buying, it's going to want to see consistent growth and active growth. You know, if you're putting out five or 10 products a year, that that's a kind of a consistent thing that you're doing, that you have a roadmap, as Brad says, like a pipeline of all your future products that you're actively going to be rolling out and rolling out into the future. Okay. So I thought that was really important to understand. And then uh, the bottom line thing that we kind of started off the podcast with was, you know, he said that if you're really enjoying the business that you're building, the brand that you're creating, the products that you're creating, if you enjoy all that and you're making good money from it, then maybe selling your business at that time is not the right fit for you. It's not for everybody right away. Maybe it will be in the future, but if you're enjoying what you're doing, stay doing that. Okay. If you're enjoying all the work that goes in with it, all the blood, sweat, and tears, if that's if that's something you like doing, then just keep doing that. Don't feel obligated to sell your business just because you are having success with it. So if it comes to a point in the future where you kind of want to move on to something else, you want to start a different business or a different brand or whatever, then maybe at that point, you want to consider selling it. And that's where you can hook up with Brad at Quiet Light Brokerage and decide you know, kind of what's the best plan of attack and how to get your business sold. But don't feel obligated, again, just because you see all these people within the community cashing out and making a bunch of money. Don't feel like, oh, you have to do that now too. Um, again, if you like what you're doing, stick with it, okay? If you find that enjoyable, okay? So I thought that that was kind of a really important take there. It's not always about the money, okay? Sometimes it's just about enjoying what you're doing. Now, again, for a breakdown of kind of what we talked about here on this podcast and the interview, go visit the show notes, guys. Go to privatelabelershow.com forward slash 130. And if you guys want to keep the conversation going here from what we're talking about today, buying and selling your online businesses, your Amazon businesses, stuff like that, if you want to keep that conversation going, please visit the Facebook group and start firing away in there. You can get joined up at the Facebook group at privatelabelershow.com forward slash FB. Okay. So that about does it, guys. I'll talk to you in the next episode later. This episode of The Private Labeler Show has ended. Please show your support for the podcast by subscribing for more business strategies and tactics to help you build your empire. Also, make sure to leave us a review on iTunes. See you in the next episode.